Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. Greetings and welcome. Episode 31 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. Mark Hodgkin here with Kevin DeShazo and uh, a special guest of the show today uh, from the Orlando Magic, a guy I've gotten to know uh, recently. He's basketball operations associate and player development coordinator with the Magic, Kevin Tiller. Kevin was actually a fan of the show, reached out to me. We're both we're both in the same city here in Florida and um, had a chance to get together. And I think he's got a really interesting story that I wanted to share with, with our listeners. Um, before we dive into that, uh, Kevin, how's it going out in Oklahoma? Yeah, things are good. I think it's fun. We, we have a fan, right? We officially have a fan of the show. Um, he may be our only fan. He may be our only listener. But no, it's, it's, it's fun that he reached out, and, and I, I think everyone really will enjoy this conversation. But things this way are good. You know, it feels like almost broken record uh, this time of the year, but just busy time of the year, always on the road. As we record this, I've just wrapped up three days on the road in, in Texas and South Dakota. But, but I love it. You know, we, we talk often about, um, and I hate this phrase, maybe one will digest at some point, but if, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's just simply not true. <laughs> Um, right. Work is work sometimes, and, and so that sometimes means six hours on the road for a three-hour meeting or a 4, 4 a.m. flight, and hours in the airport. Um, but I love being with teams and being with leaders, and so the impact of the work. Um, and so you do those little things that maybe you don't like, so you can do the things that you enjoy. So it's that time of the year with with a lot of flights and early mornings. But I love it; Would, wouldn't change it for anything. So uh, my favorite time of the year. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think the, this conversation is one that uh, that everybody's going to enjoy. Really, an interesting role that involves day to day interaction with the the players of the team. He also does some scouting, and he's part of the front office. But um, has an interesting background. He was a three sports student athlete, uh, Division three school. He's got a master's degree in sports leadership, and uh, he worked with some really good coaches when he was at VCU and Shaka Smart and Will Will Wade. Um, so, you know, it's a very interesting conversation, um, one that I think you'll enjoy. So uh, without further ado, we'll get started. All right. Thanks for uh, tuning in to the Sports Leadership Podcast. We have a really exciting guest today, uh, Orlando Magic Basketball Operations Associate and Player Development Coordinator Kevin Tiller. And uh, as we mentioned in the intro, I got to know Kevin a little bit. He's a, he's a fan of the show, um, and we recently got together and had a uh, a great chat, and um, I think he has a very interesting uh, story to tell. So uh, without further ado, uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your career so far and how you got to this point? So, yeah, so, um, you know, I'll be rem- you know remiss if I didn't give acknowledgement to, to God and my you know mom and parents uh, who helped me on this journey. I started, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, kind of moved around a lot. Um, went to undergraduate at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, in the ODAC Conference, played football and basketball there and ran one year track, um, then transferred after that, after I finished and got my master's degree from Virginia Commonwealth University. And during my time there, I was a graduate assistant. And so with that opportunity, I was able to work with Coach Shaka Smart and Coach Will Wade. And so I was able to learn from those two. And then from there, I actually was hired on at BCU after my graduate assistantship was done. Ended up leaving that job to go work for the Magic, started off as an intern about three years ago. And then I've just been fortunate enough to continue to keep, you know, stay along. And now I'm in the player development role. But basically my role is to 
be with the players and help them and kind of be like a liaison, mentor, confidant, et cetera, um, as well as scouting college, college players. I love it. So what, go to some of, some of the details. So player development, I know you kind of hit on it a little bit. Um, and I know there is no normal day-to-day, right? That doesn't exist in, in, in any world at this point. Um, but what is what does your day-to-day look like in terms of developing relationships with the players, developing relationship with staff? Um, what's the main goal? Um, what's a win for your position? Oof, yes. It, so the main role of this, this job is to build a relationship with our players and, and kind of, you know, get to know them on a personal level. So my first year, I work uh, I work for Becky Bonner, and I have another lady named Regan Carter and Orlando Boyer, and we all work together as a, as a group. And basically our role in my first year was to first just – it was a new position with the Magic. So first year was to create relationship with the players and get to know them and to find out their interests. So obviously everybody's talking to them about basketball, and we wanted to know what did you want to do outside of basketball. So we asked questions about what they like, what they did, what they wanted to do in college, maybe the majors and kind of create um, some type of program. And from that, and kind of building that, okay, you said you liked art, so let's try to get you to introduce people in art. You like movies, film, et cetera, real estate. Um, so basically a win for me would be to get to know a player. A player, you know, will tell me what he wants to do or something that he likes, and taking that information, creating some type of informal meeting, shadowing, internship, and the player then attending that. And I'd say that would be a win for me you know, on the overall. Uh, I know you did a role in, in student athlete development at BCU, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. What are you, um, I guess, what are the biggest differences between these roles in the college space and the professional sports space? Yeah, so for the college, I was a, like, director of student athlete development. So basically my role was to, so my role as a graduate assistant, I actually lived with the players. So I got to really see what a college athlete went through um, from the morning they woke up to the time they went to bed. So that allowed me to get some hands-on experience with players. So in my role, getting hired, I had you know set up community service, you know, get these guys to class, set up their schedules. But then also, I was in charge of this program called Life Lessons, and so we bring speakers in on, you know, jobs of the college, um, relationships, you know, healthy relationships, you know, just things like that, to kind of broaden these guys' horizons outside of basketball. So the difference is in college, we kind of it's kind of coaches led, staff led. And so we kind of make our players kind of gravitate to that versus NBA it's player led. So anything we do, it's what the players want to do. And as you know, the NBA is run by the players. So whatever the players want to accomplish, whatever they want to learn, our job is to facilitate that and make that happen for them. So relationships, obviously the key to all of it, whether collegiate level, professional level, um, and living in that world, I feel like, would give you almost instant credibility with student athletes. A, being young, but B, you, you live that world, you understand their day-to-day. How do you go about building credibility and building relationships with guys at the professional level? What's, what's the difference and um, maybe some unique difficulties with that? I would say the biggest thing about uh, professional athletes, at least in the NBA, these guys are extremely smart and they have a lot of people that want to um, take their time and want to get to know them and be around them. So being authentic, you know, being real, being genuine, and they can sniff it out whether you're not being real or genuine, you know, within a couple of days. And so that was my approach. I just, I'm going to be me. I'm going to get to know them. I'm goofy. I'm going to, but I know at the end of the day, I care. And that's the biggest thing in this role is you got to care about the players and care about helping them and their well-being. And that's what I've been fortunate enough to work with other people that have the same vision. And it starts with our president, GM, Jeff Wolman as our president, and John Hammond, our general manager. And they created this position and they 
they I'm fortunate enough that they selected me to be a part of it. And I would say that's a challenge because, you know, so many things happen in the NBA throughout these guys' lives, media, you know, friends, family, so many people are pulling at these guys probably since they were 15 years old. So then here I come and, and I'm an extension of the front office. So that's also creates some awkwardness. So breaking those barriers and saying, look, I'm just here to help you get to where you want to be post during and post your career. You kind of touched on what uh, the the organization is setting up as a culture, and you know, being in Orlando, I see it close up, and it's it's really a neat a neat thing. You know, obviously, there's been some lean years since Dwight Howard left, even, and and obviously even before that, Shaq, and and they've they've had kind of some 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 tough times in the last five or ten years, but recently, you know, making the playoffs last year, trending in the right direction. You know, I when I watch them, I see a team that's well coached, um, kind of almost a throwback team, really. Uh, kind of scrappy not to, to um, minimize the talent that's on the team as well because there's some guys who can, can really play but uh, it seems like an organizational shift I mean if you how do you have you felt uh, that the organization's changed in the three years that you've gone there and you know kind of what is the the guiding principle for the team you know from the top to bottom yeah I've had a unique experience because I was here my last year when we when we didn't do so well and then when then John came in they Basically, their, their, their mindset or their approach was we're going to build this thing. We're going to build it right. We're going to build it slow. We're not going to be in a rush process. So being somebody that's young in this industry and kind of seeing some organizations or some sports teams go from, you know, bad to really good in one year or two years and try to make moves to fast track their progress. You know, I've been fortunate to watch um, Jeff and John take their time and really vet out every decision, think it, process go over it again, process, go over it again, process, which really helps someone like me who gets to really see the in-betweens in the back and the behind the scenes. You know, a lot of people talk about being a general manager and, and talk about, you know, being able to trade and, and draft and, and they see that part of it. But it's a lot, you know, it's a lot as a general manager, as a president, you know, all the different responsibilities that you have with the players, with salary, with contracts, with your staff, you know, and, and, and NBA is a long season, so it's a lot of different, a lot of ebbs and flows, you know, with emotions. We're all human. And so just trying to stay afloat and watching, like I said, our president, our GM, who've done a great job of just kind of building the right infrastructure with the right staff, with people, and then carrying that on to the players. And, and like you said, we're scrappy. We get that from our coach. Coach Clifford is an amazing coach, a great teacher. And he's able to get, you know, get into these guys, but he's able to teach these guys and build a relationship with them. And these guys buy in and they scrap, they fight, they claw. And the biggest thing, they believe, you know, so that's really helped us last year and this year. I think it's really interesting talking about um, almost rebuilding an organization, right? And reshaping a culture. And there's so much pressure um, in the sports world and the business world to win now, right? To turn everything around now to become a winner. But we don't don't have time to build. We don't have time to trust the process. Um, We've got to do it now. And, they're not going about it that way. They're saying, no, we're going to build, we're going to win, but we're going to do it the right way. We're going to take our time and make sure we get the right people, make sure we have the right processes in place. And I I think that's a good, a good strategy, but I think there's a, even internally, I can almost be frustrating because that's, you're going to have to go through some bumps, right. To get where you're going. How, how are those guys um, keeping people kind of positive along the way, keeping, reminding them of the vision? How, how are they making sure people stay bought in and engaged uh, through those bumps? I, I think laying out the plan and at the beginning of the season, laying out kind of the vision and laying out what the end goal is and then, and, and being honest and say, hey, this, this, not everything's going to work out well, be a player, be a decision, but understanding that the end goal 
you know, is what we're working toward. And then honestly seeing it, you know, manifest, you know, so one thing to talk about is one thing to, you know, create, you know, some, you know, you know, group agreeance, I should say. Um, but it's another thing to actually see it come to fruition. So for us, you know, getting Coach Clifford and and Coach and then players coming in and, and kind of seeing it come together, where it, it was it's been rough. You know, it has some shaky moments. It has some uh, you know uncomfortable moments. But you know, for us to make the playoffs and you know kind of shock the world a little bit, it, it definitely was good for our young guys. Similar to that, uh, from an organizational standpoint, the thing I'm always struck by when thinking about the NBA is the the age of these guys and that you know just like your team is is expected by the fans to go from. I don't know, terrible to great like the Lakers did. Oh, not everybody can sign a LeBron and trade for an Anthony Davis. But, you know, I think I'm always amazed when I look at some of these players who feel like they've been around for a while and then you see their age and they're 21, 22, and there's already a, a mandate on their career. This guy's a bust. This guy's, um, you know, he should be better than this because he was a 10th overall pick and he's been in the league for three years, you know, and when he might only have had one year in college and then uh, a couple of years kind of growing. How do you... How do you work with the players to kind of keep them on the process and, and, and keep them motivated when there's a lot of external noise that, uh, you know, things have to happen really fast? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult process. You know, just kind of think about the path of, an, of, of, a, of a professional athlete. Some of them, you know, they're, they're, they're known as like maybe the best player in the area at 15 years old. And they're kind of fast tracked through high school and, and kind of told to be focused on basketball. Then they get to the you know college for a year and with the end goal of being in the NBA, and they get to the NBA and they go from some of them from poverty six months later to making you know some of them make, you know two hundred thousand dollars every two weeks. So just that dramatic change in the athlete's life is so mind blowing. And I'm fortunate, so I'm able to fly to the draft and pick whoever we draft, kind of take him back with us, but you know back to Orlando, kind of as a you know formal greeting. And just kind of seeing these guys' faces, not even just guys from our team, but other teams, and kind of just seeing, like, reading about guys' histories and bios and just kind of seeing some guys from some of the worst situations. And then, you know, as soon as they walk across the stage, you know, these guys are millionaires. And with that, the money's, you know, initially sounds good, but with that comes a lot of, you know, distractions, like you spoke of, a lot of things, a lot of people. And it's a difficult challenge because these guys have to vet out who's, good for them and who's smart for them. And, and, and that's a decision they have to make. You know, they have people that have been with them since they were young that may not need to be with them going forward and vice versa. People that maybe they're going to meet this year that are best for them going forward. So keeping them engaged is constant communication. You know, from the you know four of us in my group, you know, in our group, it's constant communication all the time. Like, you know, just getting to know them, talking, having dinners, lunches, after practice, you know, just random moments, random pockets when you can get these guys' attention. And it's not sometimes going to be 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Sometimes it's seven minutes. Sometimes it's six minutes. Sometimes it's a car ride to the DMV, which is across the street, you know. But just finding pockets and continue to stay um, educating these guys and, and learning from these guys as well. Is that – and just to follow up on that uh, for a second, is is that how you – that's really how you have to do it, right, is, is you can't make the decision for these guys. You have to – I don't know, give them the, the tools because, you know, it's it would be too difficult, I'm assuming, to, I don't know, to go, hey, this this guy, he's probably not somebody you want around. This is a, you know, this person who's in your ear about an investment opportunity is kind of shady. I'm, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you can't make those decisions for them. You just have to be able to talk to them about the process of making those decisions and putting a, a system in place for them to, you know, to be smart with what they're doing. Exactly, yeah. It's an, I mean... You know, not just athletes, but 
people in general have maybe have some people that are bad for them or you know not in their best interest but the difference between these guys you know their mistakes to the people that are around them are publicized so with that being said you know our job is not to judge who's necessarily around them or judge anybody's intentions but our job is to educate the player on himself and you know what he wants to do and allow him to then from the information that we provide and his own information going through life to then decide okay who's best what situations not just person but area I want to live in or lifestyle I want to live or things I want to buy. You know, these guys are smarter um, than I think a lot of people give them credit for. And with the right tools, like I said, from high school, 15 years old, all the way maybe to the first year of college or even maybe beyond, these guys are kind of fast-tracked to be NBA players. So some of the life lessons, some of the things that they should learn, even little as like uh, time management to bigger things like financial literacy, which is a, a universal thing that everybody needs to learn more of. Um, the, those those lessons are missed, and it's unfortunate. But however, you know that's why our roles and the roles across the NBA are being created to let's help these guys. And then myself, you know, I'm only 27. My job is to help these guys. I mean, learn along with them. You know, so I always tell these guys like I'm learning with you. Financial education, I'm learning with you. Real estate, I'm learning with you. Et cetera, et cetera. I'm learning with you. So, you know, making a human. You know, making an athlete. You know, still feel like he's human. And, and I think it's a it's a critical thing. And it's, I love that we're realizing this now is, you know, organizations, college and pro have invested you know, probably millions of dollars in developing the best players, right? And, and with the growth of analytics and all like with rest and sleep and all these crazy things in the, in the health and, and actual physical performance we've, we've invested in, which is obviously necessary. That's their job. Uh, but we also have to invest and develop them as people, mm-hmm. as, as husbands, as dads, as people in the community, as businessmen. And because that does impact, I think, their ability to perform on the court or the field. It's, it, all, it all kind of ties together. As, as we can get them healthy physically and get them healthy as a person, then we can actually get them, get them at their best. And so I love what, what your role is, is it's that piece. And so do you see that they're thinking about, you know, when I'm like with, with college teams, I talk about being a student athlete and, or if you're a pro athlete, you're an athlete and. And, it's, and it's, there's a lot of ands there, right? Again, it's you're a husband, you're a dad, businessman, real estate investor, do you see that they're thinking at that level? Um, and I know that's that's kind of very per person, obviously, but do you see that they're thinking at that level or are they just almost solely focused on basketball um, and you've got to start to introduce this other side to them? A lot of these athletes are more, you know, conscious of off the court things. You know, I think it kind of depends on where an athlete is. So maybe the older ones, obviously, if they get post-career, but maybe the ones in the middle who are trying to fight for that next contract or that last contract, you know, uh, maybe they're, you know, obviously focuses more on basketball, but, I would say as a whole, guys are more conscious that, hey, I want to do other things outside of basketball to kind of grow my brand, you know, market myself. They have the end goal, but they need help in the middle. Like we all do, right? They're human, we're human, we all need help in the middle. And that's where they're at. And sometimes some of them are a little bit more delayed than others. But like I said, with them being so smart, obviously they're the best athletes in the world, football, basketball, baseball. So the amount of intelligence that these guys have, having that translate to off-court experiences, you know, that, that, that's what makes the job fun is being able to really get to know, you know, a player that everyone, glor- you know, glorifies as the athlete, but get to know him on a personal level. Like the same guy that we were dunking is the same guy that made like spiders and insects, you know, who may like, you know, Marvel and getting that and seeing how excited they are about that. It's like, man, like these guys, you know, are human just like me, you know, and being able to bridge that gap, you know, and, 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 We've been fortunate that NBA has helped us out a lot with uh, shadowings and internship opportunities for these guys um, during the off season that 
our guys are taking um, advantage of. So I've been fortunate. Yeah, what are the things that, um, I don't know, are there any common trends in the things that people, that players are, are most interested in, or has that changed in the kind of three years? I mean, what are the off-the-court topics that are kind of front of mind for the guys these days? Investing is the biggest one, right? So investing in like stocks and, and you know, bonds and things like that is like the, you know, the biggest, the easiest one, because that's what kind of what everyone's talking about, not just athletes. I would say real estate would be second. Um, and a lot of these guys are trying to find ways to be entrepreneurs, and they have the financial ability to do it is now trying to do the legwork of like the, the, the paperwork and finding, you know, cause these guys, you know, want to sell clothes, want to open stores. Um, but another thing, biggest thing is a lot of these guys want to get back to the community. So a lot of these guys, even foreign players, they want to go back home and build, you know, basketball courts and build gyms. You know, we have a couple of players on our team that have done that. And these guys want to get back to the community. So investing not only financially in like things that have helped them profit, but also investing in their community. You know, that's a lot of these guys want to do it. And, and we're not forcing them. They, they want to do it themselves. They want to create camps. They want to create programs. They want to teach. We have one guy on our team who, you know, started a coding, you know, class, Aaron Gordon, for, you know, kids in Orlando. You know, teaching these guys, you know, kids how to code is amazing. It's not just, hey, come be my basketball camp. It's like, let me teach you how to code, you know. So, you know, those are unique things that players are, you know, starting to trend to as well. So how do you, you mentioned you're, you're young and they don't expect you to be an expert in, in this stuff, um, which is, which is great, but how do you educate yourself so that you can give them some guidance? Like what, what are you doing when you're not with them? What are you doing to prepare yourself to get yourself educated on investments, on real estate, on branding, on, you know, all these different areas that, that you're trying to um, guide these players into? How are you equipping yourself as well? Constantly asking questions to people that know more than me. You know, I know that's cliche, but it's real for me. It's constant asking people questions of, you know, bringing in financial speakers and staying in contact with them and asking them questions and reading. I learn from others and then I go through these, like I said, classes, seminars with these guys as well. So learning with them, you know, and then bringing stuff to the table about this. Let's talk about going to get your degree, you know, and being able to, you know, talk about this as well. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about kind of what the, where the players want to go off the court. Um, what are the biggest, um, and we touched on a little bit of them, but what are the biggest kind of challenges and pressures that they are all dealing with day to day? The biggest challenges and pressures are how they view themselves and how to be this person that the world may have, you know, anointed them as, as well as who they believe they could be. I would say, too, is family and friends, you know, feeling that sense of loyalty to people that have been there for you before you became super famous or drafted. And feel like you have to continue to stay afloat to keep everyone else afloat. I think that's the, probably the biggest challenge. And then um, the media, you know, dealing with the media and, and as far as like how to be a good role model for people in the media, but then also when these guys make mistakes, how to bounce back and, and deal with them. So a lot of these guys are really getting into the mental health portion, just trying to balance life. Cause there's a lot, you mean, you know, these, these guys do it a lot and they're constantly talked about good and bad. So, I'll say those are the three biggest challenges, how they view themselves and, and being this person for the, for the world and also for themselves. But then also, you know, dealing with family and trying to be um, everything to everyone, along with being a basketball player, along with being a parent, along with just being a human that just wants to go to Target, that some of these athletes can't. You know, some of these people can't just walk into, can't have a bad day, leave work and say, I'm going to go on a walk around the park because, you know, people may notice them and then it's, you know, you have no privacy. So... Just understanding that is the most difficult part for these athletes. Uh, so you've been around a good number of coaches, uh, successful coaches. You've been around Shaka. You've been around Will Wade. Uh, and you got Steve, Frank Vogel probably for a little bit. And then, of course, president and GM as well. 
what are some of the, the key lessons in terms of leadership, communicating with people, trying to develop people, get people from where they are to where they could be? What are, what are some key leadership lessons that you've, you've learned from these guys? So I would say speaking with uh, Shaka Smart and Will Wade, the, I was so naive to college basketball and, and, and the sports industry because I came from a small school and I, had no, I knew nothing about big-time college basketball. And so the biggest thing that I learned from Coach Smart was work ethic, one. With, you know, I know this easy one, but work ethic. And these two were the hardest working people I've ever met in my entire life, literally dedicated themselves to basketball. But one of the biggest things that they made me aware of and that kind of helped me in my career thus far was you know when we lose games or lose consecutive games you know sometimes coaches you know lock themselves in you know their offices and and spend time on the numbers and plays and you know constantly watching film and i remember coach smart and coach Wade understood that hey spend time with those guys those that's the most important thing you know it doesn't matter what we create on paper if these guys don't feel cared and appreciate it and understand what we're trying to do, then none of this matters. And so that's something I've always remembered is that, and, and Coach Smart would always try to take guys to lunch, always try to talk to guys, always bring guys to their office, always keeping his door open. And Coach Wade would do the same thing, always taking guys to dinner, lunch, texting every single player every single day. And, and, and they're just constant talking to these guys. Um, I would say for them, they constantly networked, constantly met people, constantly treated people right. And, the, one of the biggest things that kind of missed is they were super organized and super detailed oriented and they didn't, they, they hated grammatical errors. So, so I know everyone kind of thinks about like, Oh, you know, network and, and like you said, building relational players and, and, and being with the right people and things like that. But their stuff was like emails, organization, practice plans. And so that kind of carried on to the NBA where it's even bigger on this stage. Cause you got the smartest people, some of the smartest people in, in basketball and, you know, a lot of these guys come very, you know, accredited, certified, et cetera. And their biggest thing is organization, grammatical errors, because one little detail can mess up everything. You know, one bad line in a contract can mess up the entire contract. One bad, you know, scouting report or stat statistic can mess up everything. And I've learned that from, obviously, our president GM now, but I've also learned that from another guy that works for assistant GM, Matt Lloyd, who's phenomenal. But the biggest thing, like I said, is, is being good to people, work ethic, uh, spending time with players constantly, but then also being very, you know, organized with how your desk looks at work to how your emails are formatted and make sure everything is consistent. I love that. I think that's, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, you've mentioned kind of the, the college coaches you've worked with, and, and I think naturally the college coaches are going to be closer to the player. You're kind of, you know, they're not professionals. They're there. Um, they live on campus, perhaps, or you're just spending more time with them, maybe, than, than you do with the pros. And what you said reminded me a little bit about something I heard about Bill Belichick from his previous coaching job when he was coach of the Browns. Uh, obviously, a lot less successful, but, you know, his last year in Cleveland, they moved the team, and it, everything kind of fell apart once that was announced. He said his biggest takeaway from Cleveland was that these aren't just um, names and numbers, you know, these aren't just robots and, and that the stuff that happens off the court will impact, you know, these guys are, are something's missing outside or they're distracted. Uh, that's, that's going to really impact, um, how they perform on the court. How does, uh, how does that translate to pro basketball? I mean, do you see the same kind of thing where there's a, 
I know it's hard to compare because you've you've been in the pros for three years, not not thirty. But is it is it different? Is there still that kind of concern from the coaching staff of okay, these guys are they are they doing the right things off the court? Are they are they focused? Are they you know are they fulfilled off the court so that they can be their best on the court? For sure, I, I think once you get the elephant out the room of I work front office, you're a player, and I get the dynamics of a business. Um, but once you get the elephant out, elephant out the room and say, all right, obviously I'm here to do my job, you're here to do yours, then you're able to kind of really help these guys. And, and, and yes, it is concern about off the court and, and everything like that. I think um, that's why on the road has is, is, been beneficial. I travel with the team. So being able to go to dinners with these guys, and then that's when you get them away from home, and then that's when you can able to hear these guys talk and, and be themselves and just enjoy themselves. But it definitely is a concern. But, but, but our, our staff as a whole – from coaches, athletic training staff, to front office, I understand like building a relationship with these players is important. Everybody, you know, takes it seriously. And it's all, it's genuine. You know, it's not forced. It's not, you know, pretend. It's, it's genuine. And, that, and that's what makes it fun. And, I, and that's why um, I enjoy my job because my job is, you know, it's just to build relationships with players and help these guys along the way, you know. But the hardest part is, like anything, you know, they don't have, they're not going to just trust me because I'm in this position or because I say trust me, they're going to trust me because. I prove it. And it took me a year. It took me a full season of going through it and, and guys kind of not really trying to build relationships with me, but I didn't take it personal. I understood, like, the, like I said, the elephant in the room, you know, I'm with the front office, you know, but after we got past that, you know, I've been able to move forward. And then now I'm able to go to camps and my, and my, and, and people I work with as well, Becky, and I'm able to help with off the court things, you know, and then 10, things that are important to them, engagements, you know, baby showers, et cetera. So, you know, like I said, once you get the elephant out of the room, you're able to really, you know, get to know them. So, we've, you know, we talked a little about off-court, almost maybe distractions is the best word, maybe not, but whether well, it's family stuff, business stuff, outside pressures, but internally, as you have conversations with these guys and develop relationships, what's the biggest barrier or obstacle or maybe fear or insecurity um, that you see consistently that, maybe would surprise people on the outside um, or just the biggest thing that you think is, is holding these guys back. This, this worry they have, this fear they have, this um, insecurity, what's, what's really holding them back from performing with freedom or living with freedom? Ooh, that's a really good question. I, I would, I would say picking back on my earlier comment, how they're viewed by the world. And that is the biggest of say, maybe, um, struggle they have trying to uphold this persona of an NBA player of supposed to dress a certain way, talk some way, walk a certain way, be with a certain crowd, be in certain events, um, hang out with certain people, uh, even dine at certain restaurants, and for them to still find ways to still be human. And 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 like like you know, as we kind of see in some athletes now struggling with it, finding who they are outside of basketball. I think that's in the, a big insecurity is what's my identity if I don't play basketball anymore, and that's a hard reality for a lot of athletes who don't prepare for it even people in general you know once i'm d- done doing this which i've done since i was five years old and now i'm 32 and i'm out of the nba who am i because now i don't get the same you know praise from people you know people don't necessarily care about me anymore i'm not getting into the same events for you know easily as i was when i was playing and i would say that's kind of the biggest insecurity for themselves you know themselves and i think also also which is so it's like a big theme a prominent theme, but going broke. And I think it's, we all know that. And we always talked about and stress, but I think that's a big worry. It's like, am I going to be another athlete that goes broke? 
but you don't notice it in the moment because money's coming consistently, but the money's going out consistently. And then the more you get, the more you want to spend, or even if more doesn't come, but you still want to spend more to keep up with that persona of what I was talking about earlier. And, and that's how some of these athletes go broke. That's a, that's an interesting comment. And I guess I'd like to kind of almost dig into that a little bit more. Is that, you know, we've all seen the, the 30 for 30s, the broke ones. Um, a few years ago, I was actually when I was living up in Rhode Island, I went into a Starbucks and uh, Vin Baker was uh, the guy who made my coffee. And he had a very public battle of sobriety with finances um, and is now, to his credit, picking himself up and he's, he's managing a Starbucks. Um, but he's seven feet, and it, it was it was jarring. And I recognized him because he was a, a an exceptional player back in back in the day. How much do you kind of talk about that? Because that's it's very uncomfortable, right? It's very nobody wants to be a cliche, and, and it's very kind of cliche. These athletes who blow through a max contract and end up forty, you know, doing something else. I guess stepping back, was that part of the driving force towards areas like yours being created? And if if so, or if not, um, you know, how much is that? Is that kind of discussed? Yeah, I think. What, it, no, I don't think. I'm, it is. It is discussed. Discussed, but not discussed so much because it's, it's, it's like you said. It's like a cliche. Everybody knows athlete could go broke, and but like a, you know, that's why probably educating these guys on the actual like around the problem. So like financial and investing, and then like creating a life after basketball, which will help you not go broke. Because sometimes the reason you like I said go broke is because you want to keep up with this persona as an athlete, but I don't think you can keep like you can change that image of yourself if you're doing a job that you like and that you transition well. So that's kind of what the main things we talk about is the transition phase. Like right now, so like the season's about to start in a week or so. You're an athlete right now, but then when your season ends, you're an athlete, but you're not just an athlete. Now you're more than that, and you can be that for the summer. You can be, yeah, I work for the, you know, I play for the Magic, but I also intern for Google. You know, I also do a shadow with Google and kind of just having both of those and, and feeling good about it. And that's, a, that's the biggest, um, th- that's the, that's the fun for it for me is like when these guys do something like that and feel like, Hey, I'm about to, you know, invest in this, or I'm about to go and try to intern here. I want to meet this person. Like it's, they get so excited. And, and like I said, it's not just about their game when it shots, they get excited about or, or making that nice rebound game winning rebound. But, being able to say like, I'm about, you know, I'm about to go try to meet with, you know, this person, that person to help my business or help learn about this or giving them books and they're excited about reading it and then and, and coming back and giving me book reports, you know, or giving, you know, Becky Bonner or Regan Carter book, book reports. Um, but I would say that I would, that would answer your question. So two part question. One, you're, you're a former student athlete. Um, so the first part is, is how did that prepare you? for this world? Like what skills and lessons did you, have you taken from being a student athlete um, that prepared you not just for working in pro sports, but for being a professional? And the second part, what's your vision, right? You've been doing this for, th- for three years at the pro level, did it um, a similar mindset, a similar kind of role in the college level. Where, where do you want to be? So coming from Guilford College, a small division three school, there, there were no scholarships. So a lot of us were living on loans. So I took out a lot of loans to get through college. So on the side at work, Work study jobs, sorry, work study jobs. So working in the library, broadcaster, cameraman, etc., just to kind of keep some cash flow. Um, but I would say what really kind of jump started my like mindset to start thinking about post like football or basketball, whatever I was doing at the time. I did an internship with Disney World, Disney College program. So I actually moved to Florida and worked like a work study, like a study abroad. And I was there from January to August. And Disney really 
show me how big business works because you're able to take classes, you work a job on site and you live on site. And that changed my life. And from there, that point on, I kind of really started thinking, okay, this is how really big business works and this is where I want to get to. So I would say that prepared me, but you know, typical things like commitment, work ethic, I would say uh, being able to commit and say like, no matter if I didn't, I wasn't even a star. So I had sometimes no reason to even play. But just having that commitment, and that comes from like my mom never let me quit anything in life. Um, once she's paid her money, she's always say. So I would say that, I would say work ethic, I would say being passionate about something and, and, and being driven. And then the second part of your question, you know, I've been fortunate to be in both worlds. I can be with players and I travel with the team, but I'm also able to college scout. And that's fun because it allows me to be creative and kind of try to, like everyone, want to find that diamond in the rough or something like that. And I work with a great group that I'm able to learn from. Prosper Kwanga, Matt Lloyd, like I mentioned earlier. So I'm able to learn from other guys and kind of like, oh, what do you think about this guy? And, oh, I like this guy. And us talking about it as a group. So, I, you know, to answer your question, I'm not sure. You know, the easy answer would say general manager. Um, so, you know, that's what, that's like the top of the you know food chain. But, you know, I, I, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying where I'm at now. And I know that's kind of like easy, like, oh, but that's the reality for me. That's a really good, good answer. You know, I think, I think that's, you're understanding that it's a process and that there's, you know, you can't anticipate every step that's coming next. So no, totally, totally makes sense. Um, I guess the last question I would have, and, and you touched on a little bit of this, but you know, what are the, what are the piece of advice or um, people who may be listening or aspiring sports professionals or who might hear what you're doing? Oh, that's really, that's really neat. How, how can I get there? Um, do you have any advice to people kind of coming up, how they can put themselves in a position to have a job like yours someday? So specifically with basketball and NBA, uh, I would tell people to get uh, basketball-related experience. So I was fortunate to work at VCU, but before I got to VCU and was able to get on as a, I was a volunteer GA too. I, I wasn't even getting paid. Um, I did basketball-related experiences, so broadcasting, cameramans, things that I could use in the interview process say, this is what I've done. I may not be directly the manager, but I did something like that. So whether it's YMCA or Kentucky, get some basketball-related experience that you can bring to the table. I'd also say meet people, but never ask for a job. And I know that's like hard because everybody wants to get an internship, but as we all know, I'm sure you two may get, you know, get some as well. Everybody wants jobs. Everybody wants to be connected. Everybody wants internships, et cetera. But the, it's rare that you find people that just say, I just want to learn from you. I don't want a job. Even if they need one, even if they want to be in so bad to not ask for one is amazing. And how I got to the magic, I was at VCU, but the reason why I, I made the connection. I used to write letters to almost everybody. And I wrote a letter to a guy named Stephen Mervis, who works for us now, still at the Magic. And I just said, hey, I want to just get to learn from you. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, want a job. I just want to learn from you. He called me. We talked on the phone. And from that conversation, he says, you know, do you want to, would you ever be an intern? And I'm like, not really. Like, I have a full-time job here. I'm in Richmond. I got my first apartment ever in my life. Like, I'm enjoying myself. And he just said something you should think about. And we stayed in contact and he actually invited me to summer league when I was in Orlando and I'm in Virginia. And he's like, if you can make it come this weekend, I'd like to invite you to meet the staff a little bit. So I was looking at plane tickets, plane tickets were like $500. I can't afford this. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to probably go. So my best friend calls me and says, you know, it's 4th of July weekend. What do you want to do? And I'm like, man, I might just drive to Orlando. And he's like, for what? I was like, I got to meet this guy. So he's like, I'm coming with you. So me and him drove 14 hours one way, met with him, Stephen Mervis, and then met with Matt Lloyd the next day for like 10 minutes both. 
prayed it and then drove back and made practice the next day. So I would say just doing stuff like that. And I never once asked for the job. I never once during our conversations with any other person asked, Hey, can you help me get an internship or let me know if anything's available? Just, you know, build real relationships. At the end of the day, these people who you're trying to ask for jobs have to vouch for you. And if you don't do well, it looks bad on them. I love that relationship before opportunity, right? Like if we can just serve people, good, good things happen instead of seeing, well, if I do this, maybe I'll get this from them. No, just, sure. just serve and, and, and see where it goes, goes from there. I love that, man. Kevin, thank you so much. Um, Kevin Tiller, basketball operations, player development with Orlando Magic. Incredible insight. Thanks for, for your time. Thanks for your story and your wisdom. Um, really appreciate you being on with us. Thank you so much. Thank you both. All right. That was Kevin Tiller of the Orlando Magic. Uh, that was a lot of fun. He had some really, really great insight. Love his perspective and lessons that he's he's learned. And um, so what, what were kind of your key takeaways from that, Mark? What, what was something that stood out to you from, from what Kevin shared with us? Well, one thing that stands out definitely is is kind of what's being built in, in Orlando. And, you know, for a wild NBA offseason, which is all about super teams and, and packs of free agents and Unfortunately, your Thunder getting decimated by player departures and things like that. Um, a little bit different than, than a lot of other teams are kind of building. But, you know, I think it's something special um, that is happening, whether it'll be reflected on the court, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But um, so definitely some interesting things about that. And then, you know, what I, what I loved about what, what Kevin shared also is just his kind of process for, for learning and expanding. You know, he's, he's one that has a kind of a new-ish role um, in, in sports um, and one that's, you know, really, you know, we all, everybody in sports has um, trouble answering the question, what's a typical day look like? But but he's got a very unique um, position where he's on the road with players. He's talking to them about uh, their future, about their personal lives, about what they want to get into when, when basketball's done, building their brand. Um, so a lot of a lot of great, great things right there. Um, what about you? What did you think was uh, was the most interesting takeaway from Kevin? couple things. One, going back to the magic and the way they're building, um, it's countercultural to how our culture currently operates of, you know, when, when now it is similar to what, what the Thunder here, um, when they started out and then we built from cities, like we're going to build intentionally. Um, we want to be a winner. And, and so they went from, you know, whatever it was, 12 wins to 20, 30 wins. And so they, they gradually built, but so we're going to build the right way and we're going to get the right people. Um, and it's almost kind of the Philadelphia, we've got, we've got a process, trust the process. And it, and it does work um, for these smaller market teams that can't just go make a huge splash, right? They can't, um, and, and Thunder now have kind of gone, I don't know if they've gone away from that, but they've adjusted a little bit. Um, so I love, I love the, the magic. They're just being intentional with how they're building. Um, they're not gonna, gonna just get a player just because they're, they're gonna be intentional with what they're doing. So I love that and the way they communicate that. Um, but then also with, with him and, and his role is so unique and I think critical with players and he can't just guide them, right? He can't just tell them what he thinks, tell them what to do. I mean, obviously have to, they have to make decisions for themselves, um, but his role requires a significant amount of trust um, as any leadership role does. And so they're not going to take any advice from him, any wisdom from him, open up to him if they don't trust him. And so for him, it's such a relationship building role, which every leadership role should be, but he's able to get these guys on a real level because they know that he cares about them because they, they know that he's for them. Um, and he's trying to, to guide them to be their best in, in every area of life. Uh, and so I, I, and I love his approach just to have humility with that. It's like, I'm learning too. And so he can share that. Look, I'm not an expert. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but that relational piece is, is critical to his success. And you can't fake that, right? I mean, there's no, 
there's no kind of forcing your way into that. Um, you have to, and he talked about it, it took a year for him to do it. And it's not the kind of thing that's only applicable to somebody who works with uh, an NBA front office with players. Um, you, you mentioned it. Everybody has to, has to gain that credibility to be the leader they want to be and be, the, be their best. So um, really a lot of nuggets that I think um, everybody can take away from this, um, whether they're you know, just getting into a, a new role or they're just starting in their career. They've been you know, an industry veteran. I think there's, there's so much there to pull away, and especially for people who are getting into the space, loved his, loved his last story. Um, and we talked a little bit about it after um, we stopped recording. But you know, that, that idea of asking people in the industry, not for a job, but for help and for their knowledge. When I was breaking in as somebody just out of college, that was, was what I did. And I was always amazed that people would, you know, really successful people um, and really prominent and busy people would spend some time if you asked for, for 15 minutes um, and didn't ask for anything else. You just wanted to kind of talk, like an informational interview. Um, you know, that's, that's how you expand a network. That's how I got my job at Boston College was just staying in touch with somebody who, you know, wasn't asking for anything ever, you know. And, again, you're, one out of 100 is going to lead a, to a new job. But especially when you're getting out, start, getting out and getting started in the space, you know, don't be afraid to, to ask for things. And, and don't be afraid to jump in your car and drive 14 hours for an opportunity to meet um, somebody in an MBA front office or, or whatever that is in, in, in your space. You know, I thought, I thought that was really, really a great story and, and super important for everybody to hear. Yeah, it requires a combination of confidence and humility, right? Hey, I'm going to drive 14 hours and just see what happens. But also be, to be able to meet with people without asking. Um, and there's this mindset of you got to take your shot, right? Like you're sitting in front of a, an executive or a, or a, a key player uh, within an organization. Now is your time to ask. You actually stand out by not asking, you know, right. by just learning from them, asking for their, their wisdom, their story and saying, awesome, thank you so much for your time. I'd love to stay in contact with you. They're going to be surprised that you didn't say, well, will you hire me? Do you have a job for me? Because that's what everyone's asking them. And so you actually stand out by not making it, making it transactional. So I love his approach with all that. And again, that's, that applies to everyone kind of, kind of across the board. So uh, thank you guys for listening episode 31 of the sports leadership podcast, our interview with, with Kevin Tiller of the Orlando magic. Hope you had a number of takeaways from it. We'll be uh, live on, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google play, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, be able to listen, rate us. If you, if you feel so inclined, if you have questions, we love getting your feedback, um, on, on social media. We're both on Twitter at, at Mark underscore Hodgkin and at Kevin DeShazo. So thank you guys for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.